Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart, where I post episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're listening to Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week's episode is number five, where we cover chapters 11, 12, and 13, following Tess's near miss with death from the last episode and her dealing with being torn between two men. Now, if you're eager to follow along or you want to get ahead, you can download the entire ebook for free at jennahart.com. Never miss the mystery and romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember that all the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description. Now, snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 11 Tess sat behind her desk. Her face was bruised and her shoulder hurt, but she wasn't going to complain because she was alive. Armed with a large mug of coffee laced with Girardelli chocolate, she focused on Mrs. Crosby's estate plan. Hey. Her administrative assistant Regina peeked through the door. Yes? There is a very fine man out here who is prepared to bribe me in order to see you. Jack, how much is he willing to pay? So far we're up to $500 and a week of babysitting. If I tell you I'm busy, do you think he'll go higher? Regina smiled. Maybe. Hold on. She turned as if she was listening to someone talking to her. When she turned back, she said, It seems that Valentine's Day is early this year. He wants me to tell you he has chocolate from Charfenberger. Did I say that right? From Charfenberger? Tell her I've got the bittersweet and nibby. Jack's voice echoed behind Regina. If it were me, I wouldn't need chocolate. He's yummy looking all on his own. Regina whispered. How about the $500? Well, he's here to see you, not me. So the $500 is my consolation prize. Tess laughed. Give me five minutes and then let him in. When Regina shut the door, Tess pulled out her purse from the bottom drawer of her desk. Digging in the bag, she found her compact. She couldn't cover her bruise completely, but a little more powder blurred the edges. When she was done, she put her purse back and pasted a professional, serious look on her face. But it was hard. She loved Scharfenberger chocolate. The way to your heart is through chocolate. Jack had said, ice cream she might be able to resist, but if he was going to use Scharfenberger chocolate, she was doomed. The door opened and Jack sheepishly poked his head in. I owe you an apology. I was a jerk walking out like that last night. She didn't get up. She knew she would forgive him after all. He had chocolate. But that didn't mean she couldn't make him work for it. He gave her a crooked smile. Men don't like to have their prowess minimized. So I noticed. He turned up the wattage on his smile, showing his dimple. It's never happened to me before. She didn't doubt it. I'm glad I could help you learn a little humility. He must have decided it was safe as he stepped into her office. His smile faded, though, as he got closer to her. Is that a bruise? Her hand instinctively went to her face. I was in a little accident. What? He started around her desk, setting the box of chocolate down. She rose and moved away, but he was determined to reach her. He stepped to her, placed his hands on her shoulders to turn her to him. She flinched from the pain of his hand on her sore shoulder. What happened? A car lost control and nearly hit me. When? Last night. After we had ice cream? Yes. Guilt filled his face. Tess, I'm so sorry. It's not your fault. She hated how much she liked standing this close to him. 
He reached up, gently caressing the bruise on her face. If I hadn't been such an idiot and left you... We may have both been hit. I'm okay. How did it happen? It was just an accident. She stepped back, heeding the warning bells that told her to keep her distance. Are you sure about that? Came a voice from her door. I'm sorry, Miss Madison, Regina said as her attempt to keep Daniel out failed. I tried to tell him you're with a client. It's okay. Tess gave him a hard stare. Daniel, if you could wait a moment. I'm here to see you both. He strode into the room in full detective mode. God, just what she needed. Jack and Daniel going another round. I thought you weren't on the case. This isn't about Asa, not directly anyway. Whatever it was, it wasn't good. At least not for Jack, if Daniel's menacing eyes were any indication. His face grew more concerned as he approached Tess. He reached out and lightly touched her bruise. Why didn't you call me? Jack stiffened next to her. To defuse the situation, she moved away from both of them. Why would I call? It was just an accident. I'm a little bruised, but okay. It will teach me not to jaywalk. Neither man laughed. I'm not so sure it was an accident. His eyes glanced over to Jack. It was dark and icy, Tess said. The driver didn't have his lights on. Daniel sported his don't try to lie to me look. So maybe he was drunk too, she replied. Witnesses reported that it looked like he was trying to hit you. She shrugged, or maybe it was a shiver. She didn't like the idea that she'd been a target. Why would anyone want to kill me? Well, you were a witness of sorts to a murder the other night, Daniel said. Not any more than anyone else who was there. According to the statement you gave Officer Lowen, you had been at Sorensen's creamery. I stopped by to talk to Mr. Sorensen. He says you were with a man who made a pass at you and that you weren't happy about it. There were angry words and the man left. The description of the man sounds a lot like you, Mr. Valentine. Jack scowled. You really think I tried to kill her? You're the common denominator between Asa and her. You're not buying this, are you? Jack asked Tess. Tess was trying to process the idea that the car was trying to hit her. It hadn't occurred to her at the time. And yet, as she thought about it, it didn't seem like it made any attempt to slow down or avoid her. And then it simply drove off. Jack's voice grew angrier. You're way off base, Dan. I didn't make a pass. I kissed her and she kissed back. Daniel jerked in surprise. Tess was wary of the whole thing. We disagreed on how much that kiss meant, which annoyed me. Jack finished. The last time you argued with someone, he ended up dead. Daniel said by way of recovering. Do you own a dark four-door sedan? Who would want her dead? Jack was the only person she knew of who was upset with her. But to kill her over a kiss? That didn't seem like Jack. I'm sure you've accessed DMV records that indicate I do own a black sedan. Jack crossed his arms. Unlike his other confrontations with Daniel, he didn't hide his irritation. Can I see it? It's right outside. Jack looked to Tess. I think you both should see it. Great. Now both men were mad at her. She hoped Jack didn't take the chocolate back. Tess wished she had put her coat on before going outside to inspect Jack's car. Although the cold blast of air had cleared away the fog that had settled in her brain at the idea of being the target of a murderer, and that perhaps the murderer was Jack. Except that now, even before seeing the car, she knew it wasn't him. Jack had flashes of temper, but he didn't strike out. Even when she knew him years before, she'd always been impressed at how quickly his temper faded and how he never seemed to hold a grudge. 
Not that he couldn't be compelled to kill, but she was sure he wouldn't kill her over a careless remark about a kiss. Jack stood on the sidewalk with her, although some distance away, as Daniel walked around the car. You've got a pretty good dent back here, Daniel said. Unless Tess's attacker was driving backwards, I don't think that's the dent you're looking for. But if you want to impound the car only to be told that the dent and paint is consistent with backing into a mailbox, go ahead. Oh, and of course, I can produce the ticket Cora got when she did it. Daniel ignored Jack as he continued to look at the car. When he finished, he stepped up on the curb next to Tess. Satisfied? Jack asked. Tess knew his comment was directed at her as well. He'd noticed her hesitation. He knew she'd doubted him and he was not happy about it. For now, Daniel said. So tell me, Dan, is this little witch hunt because you want to discredit me, keep me away from Tess, or do you really think someone tried to kill her? Daniel's jaw clinched. I suspect that it was no accident. What are you going to do about it? Jack demanded. I'm doing it already. He turned to Tess. I'm going to find out who this is. I'm thinking this is a good time to remind you that you think this accident is related to Ace's murder. So when you find the guy who tried to kill Tess, you'll probably find the murderer. Jack said. Daniel's phone rang. He looked at the screen. I have to take this, Tess, but we'll talk soon. I'll see you tonight as usual. Tess winced. She knew it was Daniel's way to get back at Jack for the kiss. She chanced a look at Jack. His face was unreadable. Tess took a seat, safely behind her desk. During their trek back to her office, Jack said nothing. She felt she owed him an apology, yet at the same time it wasn't unreasonable to consider the facts as Daniel had presented them. Someone tried to kill her. The thought of it terrified her. Even when she worked in the public defender's office, she'd never had her life threatened. It wasn't a good feeling. She could use one of the chocolate confections Jack brought to settle her nerves, but she thought she might have to offer them back to him as a bribe to get on his good side. He stood in the middle of her office looking formal, professional. Besides making an apology, I had planned to talk to you about looking into other suspects as we discussed last night. He spoke to her as his lawyer, not someone he'd kissed senseless the night before. But considering your accident, I'm thinking it's not a good idea to ask for your help with that. It will be safer for you to stay out of it. I'm already in it. Tess had an odd, panicky feeling that Jack was going to leave, taking both his business and his affection away. Isn't that what she wanted? To have him think of her only as his lawyer and maybe a friend, but nothing more. My looking into things won't make a difference if I'm already a target. In fact, I'd feel better, more like I could protect myself by taking action to get to the bottom of it. You thought I tried to kill you. The pain in his eyes affected her more than his anger. No. One dark brow arched, indicating he didn't believe her. I considered it for maybe two seconds, she admitted. More like ten minutes. But some of the tension left his face. She took that as a good sign. You have the worst luck, Jack. Daniel's facts do look bad for you. The question is, is that on purpose? Is someone setting you up? Or is it really bad luck? He came around to sit on the side of her desk. Maybe it's a little of both. Maybe I wasn't originally set up to take the fall. But circumstances have made it that way and the killer is using it. She nodded. Maybe. He reached into his coat pocket to retrieve his checkbook. Writing a check, he handed it to Tess. Will this cover the retainer? She looked at the check with several zeros and secretly sighed in relief. 
solvent for a little while longer. I can have Regina drop the contract if you want to wait. I can sign it later. I have to go. Go? Already? I have business in Washington, and Cora wants to get back to her canasta buddies. The yoga didn't work out? His lips twitched upward. They asked her to leave. Tess found herself smiling at the thought. Even yoga couldn't contain Jack's surrogate grandmother. This was a woman Tess wanted to meet. I won't cash the check until you sign the contract. I trust you, Tess. She knew the words were about more than just business. She felt another stab of guilt that for a moment she hadn't given him the same trust. I appreciate that, but I'd like to keep this professional. And how about the personal? He asked. Is your aversion to me because of what happened the last time we were together? No. She lied. It was a conversation she'd hoped to never have. Planned to never have. Her aversion was this conversation. You're afraid I'm going to hurt you. Jack said. I'm just not interested in having a relationship. Liar. He made his move then. He leaned over her, putting his hands on the arms of her chair, caging her in. You're interested. You just don't want to be. The end result is the same. She knew her breath had hitched and was mad that he would have seen it. This was a situation that required an outward control of emotion. No, it's not. Denying your feelings has its own consequences. Yeah. Not getting your heart broken, Tess thought. As if he'd read her mind, he said, Of the two people here, I'm the one at the most risk of getting hurt. He'd moved his face closer to hers. Did you really feel so little when I kissed you last night? He was doing it again. His nearness fogged her brain, stole her voice. She gave a small shake of her head. He stayed where he was, knowing his effect. He was so close, millimeters. She could feel the warmth of his breath, the mint, chocolatey scent of it. She waited for him to make good on his intention, but he didn't move. But as the seconds drew out, she realized that he'd given her the control of the next move. She would either go to him or push him away. More than anything, she wanted to respond, and yet the voice in her head was screaming all sorts of warnings. The tension built until she could feel his nearness on every one of her nerve endings. The air was heavy with anticipation. She had always had a secret crush on him, but he'd rejected her, so this turn of events was confusing. Still, it was Jack Valentine. Funny, sexy, and waiting for her to make a move. Ah, oh, what the hell? Her fingers clutched the lapels of his coat and pulled until his lips met hers. His mouth curved under hers, but it did no more. He was going to make her work for it, to show him. So her lips parted, invited, and only then did he respond, rewarding her with his clever mouth. When he pulled away, he smiled, but thankfully didn't look smug. I'll call you tonight. She nodded. He gave her one more quick kiss and then moved away. At the door, he stopped. Think of me tonight when you're out with Daniel. Chapter 12 Tess sat at her desk with her head back and eyes closed, waiting for her heart to slow and her brain to defog. Then came the thoughts. What had she been thinking? What was she going to do now? Damn, he was a good kisser. She looked up to see Regina sitting in the chair across from her desk. She had a look that indicated she was expecting details. But Regina was her employee, not her girlfriend. I need you to do some research, 
Tess grabbed a pen and wrote notes on a yellow legal pad. I want you to get death certificates for Delia Jackson and her infant son Brady, and anything else you might be able to find. Here's what I have so far. She handed the paper to Regina. Regina waited a beat, and Tess thought she was going to press for information. Instead, she said, That's really sad. A mother and her baby? Tess nodded. Where's the daddy? There is no mention of a daddy. But based on her age and who had the information, Tess's money was on Asa. Was that going to be his big reveal? It made sense. What didn't make sense was why Jack had to be there for it. You know as rotten as Dwayne is. At least my kids know they got a daddy. Tess wasn't sure of that logic since Dwayne was in prison for robbing a bank. On the other hand, he said he'd held up the bank to get the child support money that Tess had helped Regina go to court to collect. Tess finished giving Regina instructions and was relieved when she didn't ask about Jack. The questions would come, Tess knew. Maybe by then she'd have answers. Taking her pen again, Tess wrote notes about Jack's case. The first notes were mostly for herself, her memories of that night. Daniel leaving her to go to work. The Cheshire Cat grin Asa sported during the evening, as if he anticipated something exciting. Lauren crashing the party and confronting Asa, who threatened to have her removed. His ill look when the confrontation was over. Her resting in the library next to Asa's office, hearing two men talking, one with a strained, assertive tone she understood to be Jack. But was it Jack? She couldn't swear to it. She'd been so out of it she couldn't be sure she hadn't dreamed the argument. Next, she remembered Walter checking on her, then leaving to get Jack. She'd tried to make her way back to the parlor, but ended up in Asa's office. His door was wide open. He was slumped over his desk, his computer to one side, his blood pooling on the other side. Then it was dark again until Jack found her. Once she finished writing down her recollections, she wrote down what she knew about the other people in the house. She didn't have the details of everyone's account, but she had enough that she was able to draw a schematic of the house and position everyone at the time of the murder. All she knew for sure was that she had been sleeping. Jack said he was in the parlor. Shelby and Philip reported being upstairs, which contradicted Jack's account that he'd seen Philip enter the foyer from the dining area, not the stairs. Tom had gone to his car, but for what? Tess remembered the open door in Asa's office, but it seemed inconceivable that Tom would kill Asa. Tom was the only one there that night who wasn't angry or annoyed at Asa. And where was the senator during all this? Was it possible he'd kill his son? Not that great political men never killed their sons. Royal families were littered with murder. Could Asa have been planning something that would threaten the senator's position or power? She wondered where Sarah had been. Jack seemed to believe that Philip had been with her, not with Shelby. The looks between Sarah and Philip did suggest that she was more than just a maid. Her youth and being in love would account for her giving a false statement to protect Philip. Or perhaps she was threatened. Jobs weren't easy to come by these days. Tess realized she wasn't sure what Walter or Agnes had said in their statements. If anyone knew what was going on in the house, it would be them. But they were also in a position to be threatened. Both were getting on in years and would likely have difficulty finding new jobs, giving them strong reasons to lie. All this put Jack at a disadvantage. 
part of it was his own fault. Even by his own admission, he'd argued with Asa shortly before his death and taken information from his computer. Plus, he was alone during the time of the murder. The Worthingtons had each other and the ability to threaten the people who depended on them, and they had the respect and power in Jefferson Tavern. While nearly everyone knew the relationships within the family were volatile, it could be argued that no one had killed anyone within the family so far, thus making Jack the top suspect. He had a home in the county for a few years, but he wasn't considered a local. So, despite his own wealth and power, he would be viewed as the outsider and the most likely candidate for murder. Tess knew she had her work cut out for her, and she had to consider that the tension she was feeling from Daniel regarding her working with Jack would only worsen. Would it spread to his parents? Would she be risking relationships with people she loved? Was Jack's case worth it? Chapter 13 Tess knocked on the door to Helen and Tom Showalter's home. While Helen had shunned the opulent lifestyle of her senator father and wheeling, dealing businessman brother, that didn't mean she abandoned all signs of money. Tom earned a good income in his law practice, much in part because of Asa. But Tess suspected that Helen's trust had something to do with the two-story brick Tudor home, complete with a turret in the heart of the university area of town. Tess couldn't blame her. The house was perfect in location and style, and the rest of their lives were fairly modest by comparison. Hey, Brat. Daniel said as he opened the door. How are they doing? Tess entered the foyer and Daniel took her coat. Pretty good, considering. Mom's cooking up a storm. It's helping her somehow. I brought dessert. She handed him the plastic container. Protocol around food for grieving families was that she should bring lasagna or other dinner meal but she wasn't able to cook anything that didn't have chocolate in it. Is it the caramel chocolate stuff? He cracked open the lid to look inside. She nodded. Dad will like that. He led her to the kitchen, where Tess could smell ham cooking. Oh, Tess, there you are. Helen left the stove, embracing Tess, holding her a little closer, a little tighter. It made Tess feel at home. Helen, my family is all here. Helen sniffed. For a long time, Tess had adopted Helen and Tom as surrogate parents, but when they returned the sentiment and treated her as a daughter, it was the first time she'd ever felt part of a family. My goodness, what happened to your cheek? Tom said from over Helen's shoulder. Tess instinctively put her hand to her cheek. She'd nearly forgotten about it and was surprised Daniel hadn't mentioned it to them. I meant to tell you, Daniel said. Tess was jaywalking and a car hit some ice and nearly ran her off the road. He left out the part about his suspicion that her near accident was on purpose and related to Ace's murder. She wondered if it was to protect his mother's already fragile emotions or to satisfy their pact to stay away from the topic of Ace's murder. It looks awful. Do you need some ice for it? Helen asked. I don't know. Daniel studied her cheek. It's an interesting color of green. Matches your bathroom, Mom. Ha <laughs> ha! Tess rolled her eyes. She didn't always like Daniel teasing, but it beat arguing with him. I'm fine. I hardly feel it, unless I smile. What are you cooking? Ham and scalloped potatoes. It's your and Daniel's favorite, and it seemed like the right thing to make, considering. Family is so important. Tess brought the caramel chocolate things. Daniel said as he moved towards the refrigerator door. With double chips? Tom's tone was hopeful. Yes. 
He had the container out of Daniel's hand before he could get the refrigerator door open. You'll spoil... Helen started. Oh, what the hell? You only live once, right? Hors d'oeuvres, anyone? Tom said with a mouthful of caramel and chocolate. Helen went back to her chopping while Tom and Daniel coveted the dessert at the kitchen table. Can I help? Tess asked. You can just stand there and keep me company. I'm sure those boys won't have anything decent to say until the chocolate is gone. Tess was glad to see that despite the grief, there was some levity in the home. Is the senator coming? Tess asked. No, he went back to Washington this morning. He'll be back Wednesday for the funeral. Oh, Tess, you'll come to the funeral, won't you? I know you didn't think much of Asa, but it would mean a lot to all of us if you could be there. Of course. It will be hard on Dad. I think he'll stay a little bit after. He and Asa didn't get along that well, not at all, really. But he was his son. And I think deep down, Dad was proud of some of what he achieved. It must be strange to have the house so empty, Tess said, feeling awkward. She wasn't sure how to act or what to say. Was it okay to talk about Asa, his death, or would that be too painful? And would it lead to talk of murder, which she'd agreed to not discuss? Oh, it's not empty, Helen said with a venomous undertone that had Tess raising her brows. I swear that Shelby is, well, I shouldn't talk like that. What happened? She wants the house. It doesn't go to Philip? Tess asked. The house is Dad's. Helen took her aggression out on a carrot. Tess clasped her hands behind her back to make sure her fingers didn't get too close to the chopping block. But he's in Washington all the time, so Asa made it his home. But it wasn't his. I see. You know, Helen said, turning and waving the thick knife in the air. I have half a mind to live there. Dad asked if I wanted to. It would show her, wouldn't it? My brother's not even in the grave and she's worming her way into my house. She does seem like she doesn't have much in the way of human emotion, Tess agreed. Snake, I think I will live there. We all can. You and Daniel can come live there too. Tess's stomach clenched. Daniel wasn't the only one hoping Tess's feelings would grow into something more. Was this going to be another attempt to get her and Daniel together? The house is big enough. Everyone can have their own rooms. Hell, they can have three rooms. Can we roller skate in the foyer? Tess decided Helen was blowing off steam so she'd play along. Helen stopped and looked at her. How'd you know about that? When you first took me in and I was telling you how awful my home was, you wanted me to think of one good memory. Helen nodded. Mine was roller skating in the foyer. She smiled and some of the grief left her eyes for a moment. I hated that house as much as you hated yours, she said. We're alike in many ways, Tess. Except for the fact that Tess still couldn't think of one good memory of her home. The closest she could think of was the day she left at the age of 16 to attend boarding school on the East Coast in Jefferson Tavern, Virginia. Uh, I guess I should just let Philip and Shelby live there. The house has such good bones but bad karma. It's perfect for them. Tess couldn't help but laugh. The description fits Shelby to a T. Do Philip and Shelby owe money to anyone? Tess. Daniel shook his head at her, but she didn't understand why. She wasn't talking about Asa's murder, at least not directly. I don't know. Asa gave them a pretty good allowance, although it was never enough for Shelby. Why? Tess turned her back on Daniel in case he'd say something further. 
I was thinking that you'll want to make sure that the senator or you retain ownership if they live there. So they can't mortgage it or something? Right. That's a good point. It's a good thing we have a lawyer in the family. Hey, Tom said. Sorry, darling. She is right, though, Tom said. As hard as this tragedy is, it will be important to watch out for your interests. My interests? If I cared about my interests, I'd be like the rest of them. Helen returned to her vigorous chopping. But you do have interests now, Tom reminded her. What do I want with majority ownership of the company? I'm an English teacher, for goodness sake. Perhaps now isn't the time to discuss this, Daniel said. Tess turned to see him give his father a look that she took to mean not in front of the company. Too late, her curiosity was piqued. Had Asa given Helen, not Philip, his share of the company? It sure sounded like it. But you'll take care of it all, won't you, dear? Helen continued, apparently not hearing Daniel. You've got half of it, and I trust you with my half. Half of Asa's share for each of them? None to Philip? Tess desperately wanted to ask questions, but it was against her agreement with Daniel. What a predicament to be in. Her responsibility to Jack was to learn more about Asa and others who'd want him dead. But doing so would hurt her relationship with Daniel and his parents. It was exactly what Daniel had predicted. Even if she wanted to break her agreement, now was not the time to ask questions. She could find other ways to get answers. Tess, can I talk to you in the other room for a minute? Daniel asked. Tess felt like a problem child being sent to the principal's office, but agreed. What are you doing in there? He asked once they were closed in Tom's library. What? You shouldn't be questioning my parents to find new clues to protect your boyfriend. Tess jerked back. What? Tonight we're family, Tess. You agreed. I know that. You think I was interrogating your mother? Really? He stared at her for a long moment. I don't know. Maybe... I was trying to protect her from Philip and Shelby. You know as well as I do, they only see dollar signs when they look at Asa. Or did. I know, I know, I'm sorry, I just... It's all right. She held a hand up to stop his apology. She hadn't outwardly broken her vow to Daniel, but she'd been thinking it. In her mind, she wasn't completely innocent of his charge. I'll try to steer clear of anything related to Asa. He turned away, running his fingers through his short blonde hair. I promised myself I wasn't going to ask this, but what is the deal with you and Jack? He turned back to her to see her answer. I know it's not my business. I know you say you're not interested in having a relationship, and yet there is something there. I don't know what to say. She'd taken the next step by initiating a kiss with Jack. It appeared that he was interested in pursuing a relationship with her, and it was clear that she had no willpower around him. But she still couldn't believe he was romantically interested in her. Or maybe she was too afraid to risk what giving in to him might do to her heart. So her resistance, ineffective as it was, was still there. Do you love him? She couldn't find words that wouldn't somehow make it worse for Daniel. I haven't changed my mind. I'm not interested in being with anyone. But Jack, when I'm near him... You can't help yourself. Something like that. Even though he hurt you? Yes, but it's not what you're thinking. She hoped that she could avoid giving the details. He touched the bruise on her cheek. I'm safe, Tess. She nodded. It was true. He could hurt her, but he couldn't break her, and Tess was certain that Jack could. Her emotions with Daniel were nearly always calm, 
but Jack was like a roller coaster ride, thrilling and terrifying at the same time. She wanted safe and calm, didn't she? Isn't that why she'd given up on concepts like true love? She was still pondering it when Daniel's lips touched hers. His kiss was tentative, as if he expected her to push away. But because she wondered if maybe he wouldn't be the better choice, she allowed it. His hands settled on her waist and pulled her closer. It was nice, but not mind-numbing. When his lips parted, her heart lurched to her throat and panic forced her to step back. An overwhelming sense of guilt flooded her senses. And then she knew. While her mind had fought, her heart had already settled on Jack. I'm sorry, she said. He stared at her. She watched the pain and frustration on his face turn to reluctant acceptance. Me too. Despite Daniel's attempt to win her heart and the awkwardness thereafter, the dinner was pleasant. It was clear that Asa's death had been a reminder to Helen of how fragile life could be. She'd gone to extra lengths to make a special dinner to appreciate those she loved. Tess felt honored and blessed to be included. Once home, Tess fed Buster and considered making hot chocolate to warm the chill that had settled in her bones on her trip home. It was a perfect night for a hot drink, hot fire, and hot book. She opened her refrigerator to get milk when her phone beeped, indicating she had a text message. Hey, beautiful. Free to talk? She put the milk in a pot and set it on the flame of the stove. Then she called Jack. Hey, you. He said when he picked up the phone. Hey, you back. How was the family? Tess frowned. He knew she planned to see Daniel, but how did he know she was going to see his family, too? They're dealing as best they can. How'd you know I was going to see them? There was a pause. I asked Regina. She said you had dinner every Monday with the Showalters. I see. Don't get mad, Tess. You know from last night that I have a very fragile ego. She laughed. Yes, I remember. Did Deputy Dan steal you away? This was the conversation she didn't want to have. Daniel tried, but he didn't succeed. Did Jack need to know that? What good would it do? What would it look like if she didn't tell him? Fortunately, the way he worded the question allowed her to answer truthfully without revealing anything. He's a police detective, not a deputy, and the answer is no. Did he try? No, no, don't tell me. I have to learn to not indulge my insecurities. He said. Maybe you can just tell me where I stand. I don't know where you stand. Are you at home? She hoped a little humor and redirection would change the subject. He laughed. Actually, I'm lying down. In bed. Want to know what I'm wearing? Let's leave it up to my imagination. How good is your imagination? It's pretty good. She imagined him shirtless, a sheet covering a masculine body. Well, maybe no sheet. Before things get to hot, though, he said, causing Tess's cheeks to warm even more. I want to know if you can make a trip up here tomorrow to meet with me and the team. What for? She added cocoa and sugar to the milk and stirred. There is some concern about how my involvement in Asa's murder might affect the company. She poured the cocoa into a mug and carried it to the living room where she relaxed on her chaise. Do you just need advice? And to field questions or concerns. I think there is a fear of what will happen if I end up in jail. I can't promise them you won't go to jail if that's what you want. There was silence on his end. Innocent people are charged and convicted all the time. She added. Did Daniel say something to you tonight? You're not buying into the idea that I tried to kill you, are you? No. 
I'm saying that I have no control on what information the police gather or how they interpret it or what they do with it. I thought we agreed we were going to find new information that would point them in another direction. Yes, but right now there is no other information. She paused to gather her thoughts and take a sip of her cocoa. I'm not saying you'll be arrested. I'm just saying that depending on how the investigation goes, things could get worse. Can you come tomorrow? She heard the strain in his voice. What time? Four o'clock. She knew her schedule wasn't so busy that she couldn't move an appointment if she needed. I'll be there. He reminded her of the directions to his office building and how to get to the conference room. Is there anything else? She could sense hesitation from him. Is something wrong? No. Nothing is wrong. I was thinking that after the meeting we could have dinner together. Jack didn't seem like the type of guy that would have nerves around asking someone for a date. She couldn't help but think there was something else. Something he wasn't telling her. It needs to be an early dinner. I don't want to be out too late. She said, thinking of the two-hour drive one way to Jack's office and two hours home. Great. I'll see you tomorrow at four. I'll be there. Tess was going to ask him again if anything else was on his mind, but he hung up before she could get the words out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tales from the Heart. I hope that you enjoyed it, and you will be back to find out what happens next. Does Jack's hesitation mean that he's hiding something from Tess? To make sure that you don't miss finding out, hit the subscribe button and you'll be notified when new episodes are posted. And don't forget, you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free through my website at jennahart.com. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.